Hello, and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Dr. Dalal Idikat. Dr. Idikat is Vice President for International Relations and Assistant Professor, Faculty of Graduate Studies, Arab American University, Palestine. Based in Ramallah, she's a weekly columnist for Al-Quds newspaper. Every week we feature experts like Dalal. Our podcasts have no sponsors and no advertising. If you'd like to support a truly independent voice, consider making a small donation. Details at ArabDigest.org. Dalal, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. We last had you on the podcast back in September, and my goodness, so much has happened since then. This week sees 100 days of Netanyahu's current incarnation as prime minister. How destructive has this latest Netanyahu government been to Palestine and the Palestinians? Well, 100 days of the sixth government for Netanyahu. But Netanyahu had been there for a long time, and we warned of the escalations that we might face under um, a new government for Netanyahu. Of course, the new formation of the government um, with the inclusion of the far extremist um, individuals, um, Smotrich, Ben Gfir, and, and so on. Their ideology, um, uh, their doctrine is about destruction on the Palestinian side. Their doctrine is about um, crimes against the Palestinians. So in uh, 100 days of uh, Netanyahu's uh, sixth government, we have seen 100 Palestinian lives terminated by um, the Israeli um, crimes that are being executed on daily basis, uh, let alone what we witness on daily basis on raids, um, incursions, you know, attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque, on the streets uh, in the West Bank, the detention that takes place uh, regularly, um, the raids uh, not only in Jenin, but uh, Nablus and lately the most peaceful and calmest um, city in, in, in Palestine, Jericho. What we had been seeing in the past three months is violence rewarded by violence. And I I, I, I want to repeat that when violence rewarded, th- th- things can only get worse. So when the Israeli continued crimes um, continue with impunity, with no accountability whatsoever, uh, what would stop the Israeli military machine from executing more murders against the Palestinians? Can I ask you too about, you mentioned Ben Gabir, And uh, when Netanyahu, under pressure from Israeli protesters, stalled his plan to uh, basically politicize the uh, Israeli Supreme Court and and take pretty much control of it, Ben-Gavir then threatened that he would pull out of the coalition and Netanyahu rewarded him by putting him in charge of a national guard. I mean, how how worrying is that for uh, for you? It is actually very worrying, and um, it's a blunt policy of Netanyahu you know, empowering them with the National Guard, which is basically a, a, a legitimate militia kind of force, where he is going to invest a billion a billion shekels, and he's going to employ a new 2,000 uh, police and uh, who are going to be granted lots of powers. This is very, very worrying because, you know, as I said, when violence rewarded, things can only get worse. However, when violence is also legalized, not only legalized, but also systemized, um, this is very, very worrying. What we are witnessing is going to escalate. And, you know, the the value of, of human beings here on the Palestinian side uh, doesn't seem to exist in the Israeli eyes anymore.
Mm. Yeah, it's it's almost as if he's been rewarded with a, a personal militia, a, a militia that he can then use to carry out racist attacks on on Palestinians. You know, the National Guard. You know, it's it's, it's um, some might view it as a nice term. However, you know, the fact that they are investing so much money in this body, and the fact that they are employing around two thousand guards as well. Yes, he is granting him authority and uh, police uh, capacity to uh, to do whatever he he pleases against the Palestinian people. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't um, shy to share that uh, he celebrates, you know, uh, killing uh, Palestinians. So nothing would stop him now. As I said, the Israeli violence is being systemized and it's being legalized. Yeah, and just last week, uh, Israeli police stormed Al-Aqsa Mosque and beat up worshippers. I've seen some of the videos, very shocking videos. And this looks to me like a deliberate attempt by uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir to provoke violent confrontation in order to justify further repression, further violence. Is that how you see it? Well, I see that they have a blunt policy of, uh, you know, going against Palestinian rights. They don't see any um, validity for the Palestinian rights. Not only in, uh, of course, the West Bank, Gaza, uh, the refugee camps, but also on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and um, the Esplanade. This is something that should not be contested. I mean, I mean, according to international law, according to the status quo of um, Jerusalem, according to the Jordanian custody of in, in Jerusalem, I view this as not only a provocative, um, uh, you know, tactic against the Palestinians and their rights, but also a huge diplomatic insult against Jordan, for example, against the Arab League, against the United Nations, and against, you know, um, all the UN resolutions and the international law that safeguards um, the Palestinian Islamic uh, right of worshipping on in Al-Aqsa Mosque. You know, the fact that they allow those settlers or like extreme uh, Jewish believers to go into the Al-Aqsa Mosque is something that is clear in the status quo and in the um, agreements which came uh, even from uh, like under the British mandate. That was clear that the the Al-Aqsa Mosque is a place for Muslim worshippers to enjoy. Every religion is uh, to be respected and every worshipper is a worshipper's right is to be respected. However, the Al-Aqsa Mosque belongs to the Muslims and that is not contested. How shocked were you when you saw those those videos? I mean, as you say, it, it, it violates international law. It violates uh, religious laws. It, it, it's a really shocking transgression. Uh, you know what we have seen was like uh, really uh, it's like a, a movie thing. You know, to to uh, to have such fire and raids and confrontations. Um, and inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, we've seen the soldiers, you know, torturing, beating the Palestinian worshippers, you know, uh, who were blindfolded uh, as well and who were, you know, kneeled down in, in, in Al-Aqsa, uh, in, in, in the mosque uh, while they were praying. I mean, it was really, really shocking. It was aching. It was very, um, uh, very, very um, aching to, to witness, given the fact that this, those are worshippers who are enjoying a very, very basic and simple um, right of, you know, praying. And this is a place of uh, calm, a place of peace, a place of um, sanctity. The least we could expect for those people is to at least 
enjoy their prayers and their um, relationship with God in, in peace and in security. What we had seen was a very um, barbaric and violent. And um, uh, if, I, if I may say, it's an act of terror you know, to 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 have seen such scenes uh, where you know the Israeli soldiers would raid the mosque and would you know uh, beat the the Muslims uh, worshippers and have them kneel on the ground for what? Just because they're they're praying in a lot in, in the mosque. Mm. Yeah, I'm just wondering too. Uh, you wait, we are in Ramadan. Uh, you've lived through many dangerous times, but but how dangerous do you think the situation is now? Is it? Is it as bad as you've ever seen it? Are you very fearful about what might come tomorrow or the day after? But let's put it this way. This is not new, just to share with the, with the audience. I mean, we have been witnessing um, such attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque for, for you know, continuous um, Ramadans. However, you know, with the new government and with the inclusion of those um, very extreme individuals who are basically settlers and um, quote-unquote settlers are illegal, uh, who are committing um, a doctrine of transfer of Palestinians, extrajudicial killing against the Palestinians, murdering the Palestinians. They don't really see any rights for the Palestinians, whether political or social or human. So the fact that uh, they had the audacity to escalate the level of uh, their provocation uh, against the Palestinians in Al-Aqsa Mosque to, 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 to what we have witnessed last week is uh, very alarming, is very uh, problematic and uh, very dismaying, to say, to say the least. You know, the fact that we saw some Zionist groups also uh, being encouraged to go and do slaughter the sacrifices in Al-Aqsa Mosque was something that that you know the Israeli leadership should not should not tolerate because this is this is uh, a blunt provocation for more violence. Yeah, yeah. And I want to add that um, you know the numbers we have seen you know more than four hundred worshippers were were detained during the the aggression that was. Uh, done against Al-Aqsa Mosque, I mean, and more than 300 worshippers were injured. The fact that the Israeli forces had also fired um, rubber-coated metal bullets and gas grenades towards worshippers inside the mosque, and the fact that they missed with the property uh, and the sanctity of the mosque. You know, the clinic itself, you know, when it came to the medical services, for example, that the, the clinic was attacked and totally destroyed as well so so now the al-aqsa mosque is left without any you know operational uh, clinic but as long as the israelis continue to commit and to um, legalize and encourage the committing of such crimes while enjoying um, impunity and with no accountability whatsoever we, we will witness um, worse days i guess um, religious rights are, uh, are 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 safeguarded in um, article 18 of the declaration of the human, of human, of human rights in uh, you know article 10 of the eu charter of fundamental rights the first amendments to the us constitution and in every basic um, constitution of any given um, country it is clear you know there is freedom of uh, worshiping freedom of uh, religious uh, rights as well so this should not be contested what the israelis are allowing against the palestinians whether it's muslims christians or um, anybody who wants to worship in jerusalem is not acceptable and should not be tolerated anymore those are crimes and the criminals have to be held accountable mm. uh, i mean we have also witnessed the the israeli public you know uh, protest for their for their rights when it came to to democracy and so on, so uh, I would I would ex expect um, the Israeli liberals or leftists to to do the same 
when it comes to the rights of other humans, uh, let alone, uh, you know, Muslims, but also Christians or any other um, Palestinians. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the, these huge demonstrations against Netanyahu's attempts to uh, override the powers of the Supreme Court. As you said, Israelis are very concerned about those efforts and yet seem not to have connected the threats to their rights with the rights that Israel has consistently denied Palestinians over decades. You know, one would think that for those liberals who are protesting about rights, that they would see a, a shared ground, a common ground with Palestinians. But that doesn't seem to be happening. Why, why is that, do you think? I, I, I really hope that after the protests that we have witnessed, that the Israeli public realized how powerful and how impactful they could be, how the Israelis managed to, to halt um, Netanyahu's plans on the digital reforms by protesting in the streets. So I really hope that this is um, a wake-up call for those who are um, liberals in their way of thinking or who, be, who believe in human rights, to say the least, to stand against the occupation and to say a word of consciousness uh, having having realized um, the how impactful uh, they were on on the streets, how um, that, that having seen the efficacy of the protests which were uh, taking place on the Israeli uh, streets, I really hope that uh, those people would move on and shift in in believing in their own um, roles in changing our realities by stopping and by halting and putting an end. To the Israeli occupation. I mean, I want to touch upon Passover as well. Passover is a is a call to put a hold to the sufferings of the Palestinians as well. I mean, it's time to act upon universal values of of the Jewish people in service of of humanity. It is time to end the prolonged Israeli occupation, apartheid, and to stop the crimes that are being committed against the Palestinians by um, the Israeli the Israeli uh, military machine of course, protected by the new Israeli government now. You're listening to the Herb Digest podcast with me, William Law, and my guest, Dr. Dalal Idikat. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, which we bring you with no advertising and no sponsors. We are a truly independent source for analysis and commentary on the Middle East and North Africa. You can support our independent voice through a donation. Details on how to do so at HerbDigest.org. Dalal let me ask you this. Uh, both the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia have condemned statements and actions by the finance minister, Bezalel Smotrich, and Ben Gavir, the security minister. The UAE, of course, has recognized Israel as part of the so-called Abraham Accords. And uh, the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, is keen, I think, to recognize Israel as well. Just last week, the UAE leader, Mohammed bin Zayed, had a phone conversation with Netanyahu that's been described as warm and friendly. So I wonder, how much can Palestinians rely on Arab states to support them? Uh, listen, Bill, um, I, I really don't think the Palestinians um, should depend on on, uh, on anyone. However, you know, uh, speaking realpolitik, the Palestinian-Arab relationships must be strengthened and must be solidified when we speak about the role of Jordan and Egypt, this is um, indispensable. You know, we cannot but continue to engage in very solid relationships with, with Arab countries, with the Arab League, starting with Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia uh, is uh, the backbone of uh, of the Islamic countries. So say, saying that and, you know, 
believing in the fact of uh, the importance of diplomacy and the importance of strengthening our ties with the Arab world and especially Saudi Arabia. I do realize after the normalized agreements that some Arab countries had um, signed with Israel that in today's world, countries are pursuing their national interests um, rather than other nationals' um, interests. And that is something that from an from an academic perspective, that is something that I can understand to, to say the least. Uh, however, on the political on the political scene, it's also important that we uh, shed light on the fact that the Saudis did not normalize with the Israelis. They were clear about you know the the Arab Peace Initiative in two thousand and two, um, where they proposed you know normalization and peace with all Arab countries with the Israelis, not only with you know a one on one to one basis. So uh, I think it's important that everybody gets reminded that the Saudis already gave a very generous proposal, which the Israelis um, let down. We we know that Netanyahu was supposed to go to uh, the Emirates and his visit was canceled. I, I want to stress on, on my realization that, you know, one-to-one relations depend on, and, you know, foreign policy today depends on interests rather than um, principles, values, or ethics. However, we have seen, uh, after Netanyahu's government, some reluctancy, if I may say, um, between the Arab states, which already normalize inside agreements, in their engagement with the Netanyahu government. Yeah, and as you say, Jordan in particular um, has has a very significant role to play, and, and Egypt, of course, and, and those countries will, one would hope, bring some influence to bear uh, to try and curb some of the uh, excesses and impunity that Netanyahu... Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Netanyahu has lost control of the situation, that it is the Ben Gavirs and the Smotriches and the extremists, uh, these fascists in his government that are calling the shots? I think they 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 just unmasked the truth of um, the Israeli leadership and where Israel is. You know, for, for, for years, Israel had been branded for its uh, democracy, for its lead in high tech and so on. Well, now it's the, the truth is as surfaced. It's uh, a truth of fascism, a truth of apartheid under the Israeli military uh, prolonged occupation, which needs to end. You know, and I want to put some um, blame on, on media. And here I give you the credit, Bill, of giving me the chance to speak because world media is not covering, you know, neutrally. The coverage is very, very biased, even when it came to protests. You know, the coverage was huge on the Israeli side, even when it comes to, you know, the, as I said, the Israelis had murdered around 100 Palestinians since, since January 2023. But uh, when, we, when we see, I mean, uh, Israeli casualties or when we see uh, Israelis being killed, we see the international screens covering the, the news as if, you know, breaking news. And there is no mention whatsoever of certain cases on the Palestinian um, streets. Two days ago, um, uh, a 15 years old kid was was murdered in Jericho. You know, it's Ramadan. He was fasting. He was walking home from school, and uh, he got you know uh, ammunition bullets, live bullets in his head, in his chest, and which terminated his life. No, there was no no coverage, you know, of 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 those of this news. Uh, on the other hand, you know, many um, international broadcasting companies were covering. Um, the killing of two uh, Jewish British um, citizens. 
with all the condolences, of course, to the families of the of the lost. I mean, it's when it comes to to people's lives. Uh, I think we as human beings should look at, at our setbacks in uh, when it comes to uh, to the sufferings of of the human beings, and not only cover it when it comes to the Israeli side and um, try to hide it. Uh, as long as the Palestinians are suffering, that's yeah. You you make a very interesting point about the coverage, and of course, it's it's a tragedy when when any human life is lost. And and here in the UK, the two women who were killed and then their mother uh, passed away in hospital. That is a a great tragedy. It it received a lot of coverage here, uh, as as it should do. But you're quite right. The fact that a 15 year old boy is shot down returning from school. Uh, no coverage or a, a widow of a 61 year old woman is shot dead or uh, a teacher going out to help someone in the street who's been who's been uh, wounded is shot dead uh, these stories don't make the western media and yet the western media likes to portray itself as balanced or impartial um it clearly isn't is it and and, and there's a price to pay for that and it's the palestinians who pay the price but i also feel like the rest of us pay a price too because the story is distorted it's not it's not the true story you know since january 2023 as i said 98 um, palestinians have been um, murdered by the israeli uh, occupation forces 17 of those are children one woman yes we need to we need to specify those facts because those are human you know <laughs> human related um stories that everybody should realize that you know Palestinian lives matter and Palestinian uh, civilians deserve deserve to live and you know nobody has the authority to um, to, to decide upon the termination of um, people's lives but God and you know with all the sorrow and with all you know the sad feelings when it comes to any casualties whatever and uh, you know mentioning the the British Jewish um, woman they deserve the coverage uh, however, the coverage should be um, equal on both sides. Mm. Yeah, and I also wanted to, because when we spoke last, you talked about Ahmed uh, Manasra, who's a young Palestinian. He'd been held for eight years in solitary confinement from the age of 13. What is his situation today? And and also the situation of other Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. As you mentioned, 400 arrested uh, uh, at the Al-Aqsa uh, mosque attack last week. You know, Ahmed Banasra, you have uh, many, many Palestinians, uh, you know, around 5,000 Palestinians behind Israeli bars. 29 of them are women and mostly mothers. Around 400 of them are seriously, you know, in, in bad medical conditions, deprived from basic uh, medical services. The children alone, I mean, it's, it's a very um, special case. And on the 17th of April, we commemorate um, Prisoners' Day in Palestine, where we try to remember um, their rights and we try to remember and, you know, be vocal uh, and asking um, the Israelis and the international community to put pressure on the Israelis to release uh, those prisoners because basically they, were, they are political prisoners. You know, many of them are administratively detained and, you know, administrative detention is... is uh, it's very uncivilized and it's very inhumane and it doesn't happen in this globe. But in Israel, when people are in detention, but they are not tried and every six months their detention gets renewed for no given reason. Um, this is what happens under the Israeli military occupation. 
where we are um, deprived from any basic uh, right and where you don't have a court to go to uh, to appeal and where you don't have uh, anybody to to hear your voice. So every Palestinian is targeted to the Israeli military machine, whether it is by the forced displacement orders that people receive in Sheikh Jarrah or in Khan al-Ahmar or in um, Dura or in, in Hebron, Masafar Yatta, now in Beta, in, in the north. The Israelis are trying in every creative way to deprive the Palestinians from their basic political or social rights. You know, as I said, in the trans, the forced displacement orders, in the detention, in the extrajudicial killings, so many different crimes are taking place uh, in very creative, you know, using creative tools and instruments, which are basically, you know, uh, depriving the Palestinians from the least to say of, of rights when it comes to mobility, worshipping, uh, education. And uh, uh, religious rights, let alone the, the 2.2 million who live in Gaza without, you know, electricity, without clean water, uh, you know, even the 3G services that we are we are using here, we don't even enjoy the 4G or 5G service like any other um, citizen of this world. But the good thing and uh, the, the the fact that makes me a little bit optimistic that we are living in, in, in a world that is um, changing and the tools are changing. And with the social media tools, with TikTok, with Instagram, every human being, every individual is acting, you know, automatically as a journalist. And now, you know, the Palestinian generations and the Palestinian youth are getting engaged with um, people their age around the world, you know, instantly, automatically for uh, and free of charge. So the truth is 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 coming to the surface, you know, with the extreme fascist Israeli government on on the ground. I think the truth is is very well uh, unmasked now, and uh, I do rely on the consciousness of um, human beings who believe in their roles in in, in bringing uh, positive change to our world to to act uh, ending the Israeli occupation. Mm. And and Ahmed uh, Manasseh, can do you have any update on his situation? Yeah, Ahmed is still detained. And, you know, as, as we mentioned, as and as everybody knows, I mean, he was detained as a child and he's kept in, in detention. He is, uh, he's, he's mentally, I mean, ill. And uh, despite all his disabilities and despite all the medical reports and, you know, the international medical organizations reports, and, you know, we had many um, people calling for his release, uh, organizations that have been local or international uh, you know, human rights advocates, medical rights advocates, children's rights advocates, uh, the campaigns which were held for the release of Ahmed uh, Manasra, because, you know, he is he is ill, he is mentally disturbed, and there are, you know, documented um, reports on that. However, the Israeli occupation keeps him in detention, and they don't really care about the calls or about um, the reports that are being um, uh, given. I want to also mention that um, the Israelis are detaining Many other Palestinian children, uh, not only in the West Bank, but also in Jerusalem. And um, last October, we also saw um, the case of Shadi Khouri, who was, uh, was 16 years old, and he was uh, detained with uh, four of other of his um, uh, friends. He got released around two months later. However, Shadi is still suffering from, uh, you know, home arrest. Uh, where he is uh, not allowed to to leave, not allowed to enjoy life as any any um, child. So the fact that Israel is um, violating 
all different rights, you know, the rights of women, the rights of children, the rights of human beings, the rights of mobility, you know, any any universal um, uh, uh, right is, is totally violated by the Israelis. You know, this um, gives uh, the Israeli government green light to, to commit more crimes against the Palestinians, because as long as they are enjoying impunity, what would what would hold them from committing more crimes? Yeah, indeed, and 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 uh, you use the word barbaric to describe uh, the treatment that is meted out to Palestinians by uh, the Israeli security forces and the uh, system of the prisons. You know, we can also mention Hawara and what we have seen in you know the pogrom and you know the it's a deja vu of the Holocaust. I am sorry mm-hmm. to say that, but we have seen in twenty twenty three. Uh, a deja vu of uh, of what the Jewish people had suffered decades ago, unfortunately. Yes, um, Hawara, that's the West Bank town that was attacked in February by a uh, marauding gang of uh, settlers. Uh, houses were set ablaze. Even uh, some Israeli officials refer to it as a pogrom. Yeah, to see people burning people. Those were scenes that, you know, the world should go, you know, outrageous uh, about them. Uh, You know, settler settler terror is really, really alarming because, you know, the Palestinians today are not only facing the Israeli military occupation forces, but also the settlers who are weaponized, the settlers who are armed and the settlers who are going um, crazy, madly, you know, in the streets, on the checkpoints and the junctions of the Palestinian villages and the cities. And they're attacking the Palestinians, you know, um, uh, in a total inhumane way. I mean, what we have seen in Huwara was something that nobody should accept, nobody should tolerate, and no, nobody should uh, keep silent about. You know, if we see such such scenes in our today's world and we keep silent, then we are encouraging more crimes against the Palestinian people. And yes, we should uh, remind our listeners that Smotrich, the, the finance minister, at one point said that Hawara should be leveled to the ground. Um, you cannot get a, a more fascistic or violent statement from that. And shocking, it comes from a, the finance minister in the Israeli government. But there you are and there we are. I'm just just finally... You know, the fact, the fact that the international community is tolerating uh, the gover- such a government with the inclusion of certain, those personalities is also problematic. You know, the international community, you know, the US, the EU, even the Far East, I mean, the UK, everybody should boycott the Israeli government and should, you know, uh, call a spade a spade. You know, this government includes um, illegal personalities, to say the least, who had proven, you know, uh, criminal records. So this is also problematic when, 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 when such an inclusion of extreme fascist um, government who are bluntly, you know, not shy to say that they want to destroy um, uh, the villages and to, you know, smash the Palestinians and, you know, to end their lives. This should not be tolerated. Yeah, and I think that we come back to that point about the importance of the story, the Palestinian story getting out and and really the obligation of international media to get actual balanced coverage and to reflect the, the, the Palestinian story much more broadly uh, than, than is now being done. Dalal, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's a very difficult time and, and, and I wish uh, you and the Palestinian people all the very best. Um, things will get better, but we fear they may get worse before they do. 
Thank you very much. And since it's Ramadan, it's Eid al-Fitr, it's Easter's um, season, it's Passover, I really hope and um, I ask every every single human being to act upon our you know values about our on our, our ethics to end the sufferings of all people you know including the Palestinians. Dalal, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was the Palestinian academic and writer Dalal Idikat. She spoke to me from Ramallah. Since we launched our podcast three years ago. It's been listened to more than 130,000 times in countries right around the world. So a big thanks to all our listeners. And if you're a first-timer, check out our podcast library on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, or Amazon. You can find more than 150 podcasts there. I hope you're enjoying the podcasts, which we bring you with no advertising and no sponsors. We are a truly independent source for analysis and commentary on the Middle East and North Africa. You can support our independent voice through a donation. Details on how to do so at ArabDigest.org. When you go to our website, you can also find out about our daily newsletter and how to get a free trial. The newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts and commentators, contributors like Dalal. Check us out on ArabDigest.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading, essential listening, from independent sources.